Today on the show, we're talking about an article called Stop Pestering People to Save More. It doesn't work from the Globe and Mail. Welcome to the Simple Money Solutions podcast, where we focus on your money from a Canadian perspective. This podcast is produced weekly and released every Monday. Show notes for every episode can be found at livelifesimple.ca. Now let's get on with the show. Hey everyone, I'm your host Courtney, and joined with me today is my co-host Trevor. As mentioned in the introduction, today we are discussing an article found in the Global Mail called Stop Pestering People to Save More, It Doesn't Work by Francis Woolley, who is also an economics prof- professor at Carleton University, so it hits very close to home. So Trevor, I'm going to just head right in and read this article for listeners, and then we'll go through after and hash it all out. So in Francis Woolley's words, November is financial literacy month. Canadians are being advised, start with a budget. It is about as effective as declaring nat- National Fat Shaming Month and advising Canadians, start with a diet. Saving money, like losing weight, requires fundamental lifestyle changes. But it is hard for anyone to change the way that they live. Take, for example, one of the standard pieces of financial advice. Give up that morning latte and other frivolous habits, and soon you'll have saved enough for a down payment on a new home. As someone who works at a university, I have some sympathy for those who rail against millennials with their lattes. Here I am bringing my coffee from home in a thermos, and I see students who are less affluent than me sipping fancy drinks from Starbucks. What would it take for them to do what I do? To begin with, it would take time, an extra 10 or 15 minutes in the morning. Second, it would take capital, a kitchen with a coffee machine and space to store stuff. Third, it would take know-how, coffee burn skills. Finally, it would take self-discipline to go to bed early and get up in time to make coffee at home. Financial literacy education tries to move that last obstacle, self-discipline, by lecturing people about the virtues of managing money and debt wisely. But for the most part, it does not work. As Carleton University economics Paul Schwartz put it, financial education might have some positive effects on financial outcomes, but they're modest at best. People are simply not very good at exercising self-restraint. When consumers have tap-enabled credit cards that make purchases painless, it is hard to resist the temptation to spend. Governments, working together with businesses, could do things to help people be strong. For example, studies have found that people spend more money when they have access to credit cards because no one likes parting with hard-earned cash. Anything that makes it even fractionally more unpleasant to pay by credit card would therefore be expected to help people save. One example would be requiring people to actively opt in to tap payment on their credit cards instead of automatically enabling tap payment on all credit cards. Another would be to follow Australia's model and allow businesses to pass credit card processing charges onto their consumers, charging a surcharge on those who pay by credit card. I would also like to see credit card issuers make it easier for people to sign up for automatic payment of their credit card balances instead of the default being I would also like to see credit card issuers make it easier for people to sign up for automatic payment of their credit card balances instead of the default being missed payments and mounting debt. Changing the rules governing credit cards would help people control their spending without having to exercise quite so much willpower, but it would also cut into credit card firms' revenues so that is unlikely to happen. Yet, if pushing people to spend less is politically impossible, perhaps we can address some of the other obstacles to making fiscally responsible choices like lack of know-how. At one time, schools put more emphasis on do-it-yourself know-how with mandatory shop or economics classes if 
everyone who graduated from high school knew how to make lentil soup or other low-cost, nutritious, easy-to-prepare meals, they would have an alternative to eating out and the power to make different choices. Unfortunately, equipping schools with kitchens is expensive, so students learn budgeting instead. Financial know-how, like being able to read a bank statement or knowing what registered retirement saving plans, RRSPs, and tax-free savings accounts, TFSAs are, does have value. Much financial management is nothing more than basic arithmetic, like adding up expenses. A recent study found that increasing high school mathematics requirements improved graduates' financial outcomes, while mandatory personal finance courses were completely ineffective. Again, what matters is people's capabilities and what they can do and achieve. At the same time, it is worth asking, is it possible to make people's financial lives simpler so that people don't need so much know-how to get things right? For example, for years the federal government has been trying to give away Canada learning bonds to low-income children. But because the program is so complicated, it is delivered via registered education savings plans. The majority of eligible families miss out on it. The problem here is not a lack of financial literacy, but bad program design. And the solution is to find a better way of delivering funds to low-income children. Even with better nudges, better know-how, and better financial products, people will still buy lattes. Some are just too time poor to make coffee or breakfast at home in the morning. Some do not have a nice kitchen and figure that since it will be decades before they can afford to get into the housing market, they might as well enjoy life in the meantime. Some simply choose to spend their money this way, and they may be making a smart choice. Saving to buy a home might have been the best financial strategy in the 1990s. That does not mean it is the best financial strategy now. It's time to stop debt shaming those who, based with inadequate incomes and rising costs, are not able to stick to a budget. So that's the end of this article. Again, this this whole article and everything I was just set up to now was written by Francis Woolley. Okay, Trevor, so let's go back through this article and pick apart some important pieces that um, Francis Woolley has said within this article. So I first want to bring up in the very first paragraph, um, she said it is about as effective as declaring National Fat Shaming Month when she relates that November is Financial Literacy Month. You know, I have a theory on uh, personal finance, and I've said this on many shows before. It is 20% knowledge and 80% behavior. And the act of shaming people into conforming to better financial practices is is, a, is an effort to change behavior and to, to come up with a new normal. And I think calling it financial literacy is, is, a, is the problem because it's suggesting people lack knowledge. And as it said later in this article, I think it's a lack of, of self-discipline, which is at the root of the problem. So you'd say that just like most most Canadians know how to how to stay um, fit and and thin. It, it, they might have the knowledge, but just not the discipline to apply it to their life. I think so. Here's a, an expression I've heard before: um, My credit cards are making me um, are are causing me to be financially ruined. Is like saying spoons are making me fat. You know, it's it's those are just tools to manage your finances with as a as a spoon is a tool to eat food with. It's the self discipline that's lacking. Oh, for sure. And I like that analogy because again, it goes back to the same the gun the gun laws. Like, does the does the gun kill the person or the or, guy holding the gun? Yeah, exactly. 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 Yeah. So it really it really is applicable all across all these contexts. And I think when it does come to financial literacy. That I, and we've had a, a past episode on this as well. That I mean, what what you put into your body, I feel like there is do preconceived notions about how you spend your money and what you put in your body. But at the end of the day, they are a lot more similar than they appear on the outside because both are 
both of you have a lot of control. Well, both of those things, a, a healthy uh, diet and a, a healthy financial picture, both require a lot of self-discipline and a, a similar forms of self-discipline because temptation is, is everywhere for both of those. Uh, in, in this article, it, it talks about the fundamental lifestyle changes. And I think you could substitute in fundamental self-discipline in, in that lifestyle. It, to me, that's the underlying cause of uh, financial insolvency. And on top of that, I know you're a big advocate of saying that if you have uh, if you have some self-discipline in one aspect of your, of your life, it does carry over to the other aspects. So do you think someone who is very disciplined within the kitchen could have an easier time being disciplined within finances? Yeah, it's just those same character traits that, that, that you've developed to eat a healthy diet, they transfer over uh, having a... F- a good financial health too. I yeah, definitely, definitely good observation to notice. And it'd be interesting to even in future episodes take a look at some studies done and and see if there is any correlation um, done scientifically to, to to compare compare these two groups. Um, so now diving into the second paragraph, this is something I'm passionate about. I have wrote uh, to our listeners out there if you haven't already checked it out, head over to our blog. I wrote I wrote an article on ways that students can save money. I'm a student and um and finishing out my post secondary degree. So I have I have acquired some student saving tips, and I am really passionate about this one. And it, it's funny that this uh, professor even even mentioned it because it doesn't really apply only to students. It translate acro- translate across the board to anyone who is financially savvy and financially aware. And that is that she takes a thermos of coffee to work instead of uh, Starbucks. And I think this is. I think this is a really hilarious point because you do see you see Starbucks, uh, Starbucks Second Cup, Tim Hortons are all very important things. It's it's almost it's a, it's almost a status thing too. Students want to look like they're doing okay, and I think it really. I I'm, I'm not sure if you can agree with this, Trevor, but I think it takes someone who's very confident in who they are and willing to admit that they that it's it's almost like you know what, Trevor. This reminds me of the one point that you brought up. I don't know if we've recorded this in the show before, but you did bring up the the person who will drive a big van as opposed to um, this two-seater sports car. It just shows that you, these are your cards and you're very transparent. No, I, I agree. I think it's a big ask uh, socially to ask a student to carry a thermos to school. I, I could see that being, I, I guess a student is, is judged uh, more critically than, a, than an adult is. I think carrying, carrying a thermos to, to university classes, I don't know if you've seen it, but I, I think it would be pretty rare to see. I mean, I think the thermos is a little, um, little maybe extreme, dramatizing. Yes, yeah. really extreme in this example. But I know that, and I, I, I'm not a hypocrite when I wrote the article that I posted on our blog. I am a firm believer. I can't count the times I, on one hand in in this semester alone that where I've been at post secondary that I've bought coffee. I I'm an advocate in bringing your coffee because. It's the small. I know, and I know. In this article, I did say too that um, the money that you don't put towards the coffee can go towards a down payment at home. And I think, what do you think about this, Trevor? Do you think the disconnect is there within people's minds that they can't? That maybe it's not as oh, two dollars here, two dollars here, and it, it. And I think it adds up more faster than people may realize. Well, it's the everyday expenses that are going to kill you. The the, the, the constant reoccurring car payment or mortgage payment and eating out and that would include buying coffees the uh it's always the next best alternative so the the alternative to making coffee at home is you're making it for i don't know eight cents a cup and you're paying two bucks a cup at a store so the markup is is so the, the savings potential is huge but my position on, on this and we're talking about coffee it's just a, a philosophical topic on on saving money we're not trying to tell people how to buy how to buy coffee but the, my my view on on eating out in general 
general, and this would include buying a coffee, is for me, I want it to be special. So if you do it too frequently, it becomes the norm, not special. So me, just an example, I grab a coffee from Tim Hortons every Friday morning on my way to work. And that every Friday, I really look forward to that. If I grabbed one every day, it would just be another coffee. So I, I think if you can take things that you do every day and isolate them to just special occasions, you might appreciate them more. And, oh, sa- yeah. and save money in the meantime. Oh, for sure. I really like that. That's, that's a good point because it does take the specialness out of actions that you do. I, I also really like in this next paragraph, it really breaks down the quote unquote excuses someone may have for maybe maybe not not taking a coffee to, coffee to school or coffee to work or packing their lunch. And um, Frances Woolley breaks it down into... Uh, four different four different things and she says what would it take to take coffee to school with you make it at home and then bring it with you so she says time capital know-how and self-discipline so those are the four things that you need in order and this goes again bigger than just coffee but in order to do things financially and I just want to say to our listeners, this this isn't a show about how to save money on coffee. These are just examples. And so you could substitute anything into uh, coffee, but the, 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 all the components mentioned in this paragraph uh, are considerations. So, I, so it, you know, t- to, to make a change in your life, it, it may take a capital investment. It may take some equipment. It may take uh, storage space and it may, it's going to take know-how. So you're going to need those four elements to, to make a, a significant change in your life financially is I think how I how I read into this. What do you think? Oh, I completely agree. These are definitely the four key things that are needed. It's not so you, just you could substitute in doing laundry. Do you know what oh, I mean? Oh, for sure, definitely. Uh, or making dinner. You know, anything you do on a regular basis. Definitely, and I really like the way that she does break down. Um, it break down anything anything that you do into four simple things, and it's true. You do always need time, capital, know how, and self discipline. And those are the four key components. It's really great that she breaks it down this way. So if you can take those those four components and apply it to uh, any aspect of your life, you could make a significant change. Oh, sure. That's kind of how I read into that. Oh, completely. Me too. Um, I, I Stepping in the next article, she says that financial literacy education tries to remove the last obstacle, which is self-discipline. Um, do you agree with this, Trevor? Well, I think what they're trying to do, they're, they're trying to tell people it's it, nobody wants to be told they lack self-discipline because everyone sort of thinks we're born with it. or And, and if, if we don't demonstrate self-discipline, we're weak people. And so they try to tell us that we're just lacking some knowledge. And, and I think that's where this falls short. Every Everybody knows you can't spend more money than you earn. That, that, that's not rocket science. I, I mean, I, when I gave my kids an allowance at a very young age, they understood that this is all the money, right? If I, I can't spend more than this. So telling people they lack self-discipline and getting them to sign up for a, a course on, on helping develop it is kind of a, a sort of, you need to be a pretty big person. You, don't, you need to overcome your, your, you need to be exposed for what you're lacking. I agree with you to a point, Trevor, but I also see this see the her her point in that it, it it kind of says, okay, we understand people lack self discipline. You know what? We're not going to teach them. We're just gonna we're just gonna move forward with this financial literacy thing, but without the self discipline aspect. So we're gonna we're gonna get tap enabled credit cards. Oh, but we're gonna make it a little bit harder to sign up for them. So you know what? Even though people don't have self discipline, it's okay. Like that's how I. But that, that's like giving people smaller spoons at the dessert bar. They're not going to eat any less food. You can't just add knowledge in place of the lack of self discipline. And, oh. and 
Oh, no, I completely agree. I, I think that taking, I mean, later on in this article, it does say, oh, let's take away the tap-enabled credit cards. No, I'm sorry. People are still going to go to the cash register and purchase their thing, regardless if they have to tap it or type in their pin or sign their name. They're still going to purchase it in the same way. And that's also, I did want to touch on that later too in the article. It does say, let, let, let's take away tap-enabled. Let's let's make the, cost, the person with the card have to enable it themselves. But I'm sorry, when someone's at a cash register, at that point, they've already made the conscious decision that they want to purchase what they want to purchase no i, I agree the, the 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 self-discipline or lack of it occurred when they found the item in the store not when they got to the register yes yes exactly i mean but you know but in this article's defense and i do think that you know what that may be a a good solution because we're, i guess working with this philosophy that we have to use what we're given so society in general may be lack self-discipline so just like you can't change people i feel i do really like the angle of this article because it realizes that yes we can't change people let's work with what we have and let's help people without changing does do you think do you see it that way trevor i think it's 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 fruitless be, you you have to change people's behavior if you want to change the if, if they're lacking self-discipline you cannot just add more more knowledge it, it to me that 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 concept just doesn't work but what if people aren't willing to change well we're i think that's where we are now it's a, i read a statistic for every dollar earned in canada a dollar 65 is owed so we're already in a bad place so we we need to change but you do admit that changing behavior is, is harder than giving people knowledge oh it's it's much harder because it requires the student in this case to it requires effort on their part they can't just be spoon-fed information they need to be given tools and, and resources to develop the, the self-discipline and skills to, to manage their money. This is a, a very challenging process. But would you do, would you agree, though, that that teaching of financial literacy education, where you kind of ignore the self-discipline aspect and just work with what you have, did, that to me seems like a Band-Aid solution. Just like, let's just fix this problem temporarily without digging underneath and getting to the root of the problem, which is self-discipline. It, it is, but I guess in a small way, it creates awareness. It raises as, as, as an issue. It, Definitely, it, yeah. It brings it to the surface rather than sweeping it under the carpet. And, and maybe that's that's a springboard for further, uh, you know, the, maybe the best way you, you could teach this in school is is to have people come in who, who've been through bankruptcy and, and explain the the trauma and the, the the total chaos that goes along with that. That's an absolutely fantastic idea because they do that with um, drug awareness, um, with drinking and driving, and it works well, very effectively. You know, I've seen out front of the school in the town I live in, everyone knows well, they'll put a car out front that has been in a, in a horrific accident as a result of drinking and driving, and they park it on the front lawn of the school. And it's there for the students to see what what happens when you drink and drive. I don't know how you do that with a financial disaster, how you can put that on display. But I know that has a huge impact. So uh, seeing it firsthand, maybe, uh, I don't know if you could create a fictional movie to show them, you know, the consequences of spending more money than you earn. Definitely. But I think experience more than anything is a very powerful tool. So I I agree with you that that would be a very effective tool. So moving on again through the article, I I like how um, Francis Woolley did bring up the idea of putting charges on credit cards when you use them. I think that's a fantastic idea, but I do like how she does, again, admit that I'm not sure how on board the, the retailers would be. I love this idea, though. Well, I, I'd read an article about a concept of what's called a hybrid credit card. And this is a credit card where you would have to uh, clear your balance or pay off your balance within 24 hours. So you had the convenience of using a credit card, uh, be it tap and 
Fandango or however you, you like to use it. Uh, the security, meaning the credit card company is generally on the hook for any fraudulent activity, but the balance needs to be cleared up within 24 hours. Otherwise, you would either be charged interest or uh, a service charge for, for not clearing it up. And it's very close to being cash, right? It's, it's only 24 hours of credit. Uh, that could be a solution. Definitely. And I think I think you're onto something though with approaching attacking credit cards as being an a solution because I think if they're so dangerous if you're not completely aware of their consequences. Well, there's a there's a concept that they're called transaction friction. It's a measurement of of the effort you have to do to physically pay for something. So tap and go would be very low transaction friction. Amazon one click buy is almost no transaction friction. Uh, counting out a, a $20 purchase in nickels and dimes would be very high transaction friction. So if you can find another way using credit cards to increase the transaction friction, and so they're suggesting take away tap and tap and pay. The concept is there. I, I agree with it in that literally just need to walk by the cash register, you you could almost just slow your, your pace down and tap and go and you're out the door. Definitely. That's that's a good point. To a point, I, I agree with it, but I also I also believe that that the the person again like has already made the decision to step up to the cash register with their item. Yeah, no, you're right. The the, the impulse uh, purchase happened somewhere else in the store, not at the register. But a lot of times I, I've been in a store where I've grabbed something and I walk up to the register and I'm in line and I'm looking at what I've got in my hands and I'm looking at the register and I'm thinking and sometimes if the line's long enough, again, that's transaction friction, a long line. I'll change my mind and I'll put the thing down and walk out. So I, I have got to the register and, you know, maybe ha- had considered buying something I didn't really need. And there's a lineup of 15 people and that's enough of a deterrent for me to say, I guess I don't really need this and, and walk out. So sometimes the friction helps. And to your point as well, I, I guess it is it is easier to pay with debit or even credit rather than pulling up twenty dollars out of your pocket. Like something just definitely feels realer about but, that. Well, you also need to count your change. You know, there's a bit of onus on you to make sure you got the correct change back. And uh, something about cash, I, I, I imagine way back in time, parting with gold was was even more of a transaction friction. Definitely. Um. So this next, uh, Mer- Francis Woolley says, "quote Changing the rules governing credit cards would help people control their spending." With without having exercised so much willpower, end quote. So again, I know we've talked about this numerous times in past episodes, but it is again, it's touching on the, the topic that we need government to change rules because we don't have the ability to control ourselves. Well, part of our problem is our society has created a new normal where uh, credit is so accessible to everybody that I, I know there's students who don't earn a earn a penny, but they can get qualified for credit cards. I find that insane. So the, the new normal is is to have debt. So it might take an, a governing body to help us readjust the new normal. I, I think uh, anybody not earning an income uh, but having a credit card should be completely illegal. Oh, I agree. Trevor, are you saying then that it's people not, it's not necessarily people lacking willpower, but needing to readjust to a new normal? Well, if family legacies get passed down, you know, my parents had debt, I have debt, so debt must be not not, not such a bad thing. Everyone I know has debt. If you want to change that culture, it's not going to be happen from within the culture itself. You need a governing body to maybe 
tighten up uh, lending rules. I, I don't know how you, I, I know with my family, I've, I'm, I've started a legacy with them of, of not having any debt. And I'm hoping, obviously, if they buy a house or something or a car, they're going to have debt. But to keep it to a minimum, I, I've made that a real emphasis on that. So I'm trying to change a legacy in my family. But it might take a governing body to do, although I'm not a huge fan of government intervention. And and that's, and that's where I guess my question spurred from. But you make a great point, too, that we do we do need we do need help governments tend to say they tend to put on policies that where they're trying to save us from ourselves in a lot of cases and, exactly exactly and we may need uh, again for every dollar earned a dollar 65 is owed in canada we may need to be saved from ourselves to some degree i agree i agree and i think i think maybe we could have rules put in place and then as soon as we kind of get to the new normal those rules be tracked like just things like that to really ground people again in what they should be doing well the new mortgage rules that we talked about in a previous episode those rules were put in place to save us from ourselves so moving through the article i really liked this next quote that she said quote if everyone who graduated from high school knew how to make lentil soup or other low-cost nutritious easy to prepare meals they would have an alternative to eating out and the power to make different choices end quote yeah i don't know i i think eating out for me is more of a social more of a social or entertainment decision than it is a nutrition decision. So when I go out to eat, I, I'm usually, it's in conjunction with going to a movie or, or with friends or family. It's not out of hunger. I, I do realize some people, they have uh, uh, long work days and they don't feel like making something at the end of the day. Again, that's that's probably not their inability to cook food or their lack of knowledge of how to cook. It's I think eating out is is a, those choices are, if, if it's an entertainment, a source of entertainment then you need to visit your revisit your entertainment budget not your your food budget so you did touch on my the next question i was going to ask is that so you don't believe people eating out is a lack of know-how in that as our article continues equipping schools with kitchens would make the difference no i i've for me personally i've never gone out to eat because i i didn't know how to cook something it, it was I'm gonna... I was always either I was too lazy to make something or I, again, it was an entertainment aspect. I'm going to spin this around from more of the younger listener and maybe someone my age who is a student and maybe eating out is easy and maybe they don't, maybe they do think younger students, I think they eat out as convenience because as a student you're busy, but, and, and maybe students don't actually have the confidence or the know-how to cook, well, even though some of the easier meals are very basic. Well, my youngest daughter, who is in post-secondary, I'm I'm certain that she lacks the knowledge of how to cook certain meals. And if she eats out, it she's she's eating out in some cases because she does not know how to cook certain foods, and she she did not have an interest in that growing up. So I could see it in a student for sure, but an adult, I, I cannot see it. Oh, and I completely agree with you in that aspect. But I I do think this article is written more maybe about students in that uh, this professor is in an academic environment that that's true you know if you go back to the other thing where you needed a kitchen and a house and all these things you know they, they, they talked about the four elements so if just say uh, a student want to eat meatloaf and they they don't have a stove they don't have which which is something very realistic in some of the residences yeah. they yeah. don't have a room. And, and they they don't have the uh, kitchen to, to make a meatloaf in it, but they really want meatloaf going out to eat meatloaf so that that makes that kind of supports that claim but in the, in the same sense i've been an advocate since the first day I started university to make my own things and bring them to school to eat so I think I think I mean making a basic salad making pasta it does it's that's not rocket science I like I think 
asking a student to be very simple and basic in what they make, but bring it from home is not something unrealistic to ask. No, I, I don't think so. And the markup on restaurant food is astronomical. The, oh, yeah. The, the savings potential is huge. Well, Trevor, even don't even you don't have even have to go as far as restaurant food. Camp on campus food is even astronomical when you take into, into consideration the incomes that these students have or don't have. Yeah, you, you know, uh, you could take a family to a, a McDonald's or a Burger King and drop thirty bucks and leave there not full. Oh yes, yeah, and I think, and that's that's the danger too. Students may be looking to to fast food alternatives and even not getting the proper nutrition. Well, that's the other thing is you're a lot of these restaurants you're not getting any nutrition. Oh, exactly. So I think this point does have some validity to it. It but does. It does. Yeah. Depending on you're looking at your audience, I found this article very relatable to to, to myself as a student. So I I thought it was I thought it was great, and it's nice to hear your perspective too, Trevor, in contrasted against um, the experiences you've had and where you are right now in your life. So what I found interesting was that the degree of how ineffective these personal finance courses must have been when in, in broad overview, math courses don't really contribute to improving your personal finance skills. So in high school, you might learn trigonometry and you need to apply that in post-secondary. Personal finance, you may go through four years of university and never need to apply that knowledge because you're being supported by your parents. So it, if, if you're never going to use it in the, in, in the short term, it, that knowledge is gone. And, and back to my thing, I, I can't stress enough. So moving through the article, it does say here that, quote, it is possible to make people's financial lives simpler so that people don't need so much know-how to get things right, end quote. So how true do you think that is, Trevor? Like, how true is it that People can't manage themselves, so we have to manage it for them. Make things simpler, easier, so they actually will follow along and maybe engage in good personal finance habits. Well, I I know you go to a bank and you set up a bank account, and they have you know twelve different savings and checking accounts you can choose from, and they all promise or advertise different features. I mean, I mean for a young person to go in and set up a bank account. It's not easy. There's a lot of decisions to make. I remember when I went on a bank account, it was a checking account or a savings account. That was it. So I think they're they're making personal finance complicated. They're making it more complex than it needs to be. And they're all, also making credit very accessible in all forms of credit, open lines of credit, home equity lines of credit. It just, the complexity of personal finance at a bank is just gone up tenfold. I really, really like that you mentioned the two words complex and complicated because I think that might be a big, big problem. People, they, their eyes glaze over when they see RESP, TFSA, and they look at all the complicated bank accounts. They look at everything that has to, that pertains to personal finance and they just kind of glaze over and they say, you know what, you know what, I'm just not even going to try. It's above me. I'm not even going to attempt. And I think that could be a big issue. And, and it, it doesn't have to be that complicated, but this is where that, that 20% knowledge uh, needs needs to come in. Uh, obviously, there is some knowledge needed for uh, from a personal finance standpoint, uh, a foundation. And, you know, this is something they could teach in schools is, is just uh, banking, you know, just the concept oh, of, of personal banking. People learn that through, uh, you know, necessity, but... If you're going to teach them in school, I think that that is a would be a great course. How to how to open a bank account, how checking accounts work, what a, what a mortgage is. I mean, those are are useful things you could teach in school. Oh, for sure, definitely. And I know as as a young person myself, that would be something super valuable. 
I mean, I'm learning as I go, as is everyone, but as, at this age and as, this age for all of our listeners, it'd be great to learn these things. I really, this is the second last article, paragraph of this article, and I really like this because it kind of, again, goes back to how things are changing in that, quote, saving to buy a home might have been the best financial strategy in the 1990s, but that does not mean it's the best financial strategy now, end quote. And I know the last two shows we've done, and we've done a rent first buy analysis, and I read the book, The Wealth renter which i highly recommend uh it, it talks about how house prices have just gone in canada have gone off the charts in some of the bigger cities and maybe buying doesn't make sense but i think this might be more uh, focused around the type of employment uh the millennials are going to be getting the part-time jobs the, the a lot of job turnover maybe getting tied into a mortgage is not the greatest strategy especially at a young age until you get a more solid uh permanent employment if in fact you ever do uh, I don't know what the job market holds for young people today. Definitely. And, and like you said, it is it is changing. It is changing. Conditions are changing so rapidly that to follow in your parents' legacy is almost crazy. Oh, it is. I, I don't think... I, I know I, I tried to follow in my parents' uh, footsteps to some degree, and uh, it was cha- more challenging for me than it was for them, I, I think, anyway. And I think if my kids tried to follow in my footsteps, it would be more challenging for them. You really have to look at the, the environment you're in and, and make decisions based on that. Definitely. Could not have said that better, Trevor. And spoiler to our listeners next week, as Trevor did t- touch on just a few minutes prior, we are next week going to focus on the changing the changing environments and how full-time employment is not as much of an option as it used to be. Staying at the same employment option and staying at the same employment all through your life is not exactly realistic. So we are going to talk about the the difficulties of what comes along with that contract positions, part-time, and, and how the benefit packages and insurance packages aren't really there at times. So I think that's going to be a really interesting thing to touch on next week. Um, so before we wrap up this article and this episode... I do want to finish it by touching on debt shaming. This is how this article closes. And she says, Frances Willie says, quote, debt shaming those faced with inadequate incomes and rising costs are not able to stick to a budget. So how do you feel about this, Trevor? Yeah, you know, at the end of the day, math has not changed. You can't spend more money than you earn. And if debt shaming is people spending uh, for every dollar they earn, they spend $1.65, that can't, that's not, not sustainable. So if debt shaming is going to help establish a new normal. If 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 that's all it did, I'm in favor. Because if we don't debt shame, is anything really going to change? Well, debt shaming is really saying that you know what what's happening right now is is not good you know so when we stop debt shaming, it, people are going to assume it's good and keep going. Exactly, exactly. So I, I think debt shaming it sounds negative I mean there's ways of doing it and there's ways uh, you know you don't want to do it in a bullying fashion or a belittling fashion but you want to talk about debt in a very negative tone Definitely. And take away the normalizing aspect of it. Yes. But at the end of the day, the math has to work. You have to spend less than you earn. And that's the thing. And that is never going to change. So at no point can we can we take can we say that debt is okay because the math again, like you said, is the math the math. So that brings us to the end of this episode. So again, the article we focused on this week was stop pestering people to save money. It doesn't work by Francis Woolley and economics professor Carlson. This article was in Globe and Mail. And if you want to find out and read about it yourself, it'll be in our show notes. So check out the article if you want to go back and refer to anything that we said. But that is it for this episode. Please give us a a rating on iTunes. Leave us a comment. Send us an email. We'd love to hear from you. So reach out to us and leave us 
suggestions, questions, and we will get back to you very promptly. That is it, and we'll see you next week.